Welcome to Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is the award-winning poet, Karen Schubert. Karen is the author of the poetry collection, The Compost Reader, and five chapbooks, including Dear Youngstown, I Left My Wings on a Chair, and Black Sand Beach. Her poetry appears most recently in Reunion, The Dallas Review, Only Magazine, Poor Yorick, New World Writing, and Read and Write 30 Days of Poetry. Karen has received the Wick Poetry Center Chapbook Prize and an Ohio Arts Individual Excellence Award and was awarded residencies at the Vermont Studio Center and Headland Center for the Arts. She's also the founding director of, of Lit Youngstown. In today's conversation, we'll discuss Karen's work both as a poet and as the founder of Lit Youngstown and the role writers can play in supporting the arts in their communities. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much, Nancy, I'm thrilled. Well, I'm so happy to have you on. I wanna start by talking about your poetry. Is there a common theme or idea that surfaces most often in your work? What an intriguing question. Um, I think I like to write from many different kinds of ideas. Um, I, I do, some of my poetry does spring from direct experience. Um, and I also like to write from art. It's really fun to enter another person's imaginative space and write from there. Um, I also like to take a little poke at our culture sometimes, you know, if I hear a saying or hear an assumption, I'd like to find out what, what could happen if I turn that on its head. So I think a lot of different ideas and themes. Okay, all right. Um, now, I am curious about this. I, I know with my own writing, I write fiction. Generally, my stories would start with dialogue. You know, there's like a line of dialogue that comes out of nowhere and then I just run with the story. But what inspires your writing? Is it a visual image, an emotion, an experience? What's like the trigger that leads you into a piece? Yeah, I think it's any one of those. And I think it's probably the same for me. Something will just pop into my head, maybe an image, an idea, a memory. Um, and normally I'll begin writing the poem by actually thinking about it for a while. So that when I do sit down to write it, it's kind of fleshed out. And then I can sort of mess around with the specific language and the format, um, things like that. Okay, so so it's not a case of, of, okay, here's the piece of poetry, I've written it, I'm done with it. You, you, like any other piece of writing, there is a certain amount of revision and editing and cleaning up for want of a better word that, that you have to go through? Yes, constantly. I mean, so many times. Often I'll, I won't even be done revising it after I'm sending it out. I'll think it's done, but then if it comes back, if it doesn't get picked up from that submission, I'll somehow look at it again with fresh eyes and see, oh, there's a soft spot, or this feels repetitive, or this is a not really as logical as I want it to be, um, things like that. So I'm, yeah, I think revising is something I really enjoy, and I do it a lot. 
do you share your work with um, other people like to get feedback uh, or, or to get their opinion of what seems to be working and, and what doesn't? Yes, I do. You know, that's funny. When I started my MFA program, I'm, I remember thinking this is going to be great because I'm going to really know how to do this and I won't have to show anyone anymore. But of course, that's not really the way it works. And so um, Lit Youngstown has a writer's circle. I like to bring new work um, to to get feedback there. And I have um, poetry friends. We exchange work. I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times when people are, are new to, to doing writing, um, I, th I think they're always a little afraid to do that because it's, it's either going to be, oh, they're going to tell me everything that's wrong with the piece, or they're afraid that, um, you know, how it's going to impact them. But, you know, myself, I have found it so valuable to be able to, you know, send a story that I'm working on to somebody and say, you know, don't, don't worry about hurting my feelings. Tell me what isn't working. You can tell me what you like. That's great. But tell me kind of like where you trip over something or, or where, where you kind of get stalled out in it. So, you know, I, I think writers should consider that getting either beta readers or, you know, people who are writing in, in the same genre that they're writing in or, or the same field, because, you know, that's, that's really how we grow as writers too, because I don't know about you, but it, it's like a lot of times, you know, I'm writing something and I'm thinking, boy, that phrase sounds really good. And then I realize, well, no wonder it sounds really good because I've probably used it umpteen times in other pieces, you know? So yeah. we do kind of get stuck in a writing routine. And I think, you know, when we have somebody else pushing us, mm -hmm. then, then we have to stretch ourselves a little bit creatively. I think that's a really good point. I, I think it does take a certain amount of experience and maybe you're gaining a little bit of confidence when you you hand a piece off to someone. Um, I remember a professor of mine saying, no, this is not your baby, your actual human baby that you're passing around the room that you raised. And if we don't like your baby, it's like a piece of your heart, but this is a made thing. It's art, it's the made thing. And so we can look at a objectively as separate from you. And of course you don't have to take that advice um, and you, but it does help you see your piece from a distance, a little bit of a distance. And um, I think that's been, you know, it's an incredibly generous act if someone else is willing to look at your work and, and just think about it enough to tell you something about it. Um, I, I'm always grateful for that. And if, you know, if often the, those readers have found, maybe I would have found it eventually the spongy spot or whatever the issue is, like these don't scan. Um, I remember a friend read through a manuscript that had been a finalist a few times and, um, so I asked her, you know, can you just look at this to see how it's working as a whole manuscript? And she was like, well, I don't always know who the I is. And she's, she was right. I was writing a lot of persona poems from different voices. And just by rearranging the manuscript in, in chronological order, it helped anchor, the, anchor it down a little bit for the reader. Like it was a little bit better 
of an orientation. And I'm not sure I would have ever figured that out. So, and sometimes people will say something and I think, oh, I can really see how what you're telling me is working in your own writing. And I'm not sure that will work for me for this piece, but I, I definitely see where you're coming from. And I'm, I will definitely keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. No, you're, you're, you're the conversation, right? <clears throat> right, exactly. It just, you know, it, it, it really helps us, I think. And, and you're right, we can't be so precious about our work that it's, it's so perfect. You're insulting me if you point out any little flaws that it has. I mean, we are, we are ourselves as creative people, we are works in progress. So, you know, we're supposed to always be getting better, you're striving for perfection. And the only way we do that is if somebody says, this is good, but it could be better. And here's where I think you need to, to focus on. Here's where I think the mistake is. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think hubris is a stumbling block, but also the other extreme, that fear of criticism. If you don't like my poem, you don't like me you know, or um, I think that's, that's also a, a hard one to overcome, but it, it can also get in our own way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, and now I'm curious, what do you do if you hit a creative roadblock? You're working on, on a poem and it's like, you know what you're trying to communicate, but you, you just, you know, you just hit that wall. You just can't get past it. What do you do, or, or worst case scenario, you want to sit down and work on something and you just got nothing. You know, I like to call it the Mother Hubbard cupboard problem where it's totally barren and you've got all this free time and you, you can't even write anything decent. So have you had that happen to you? And what do you do when you run into that problem? Um, I think that for me, probably it's maybe a little bit different for me because, um, well, so you're, when you start a story, maybe that's where the cupboard um, metaphor happens to you. But then once you're into the story, if you pick it up again, you, you have this work in progress. Um, I think poets are starting over more often because just by nature of it being a shorter work. But what I'd like to do is read. Um, I have so many books of poems that I haven't read yet. I buy them at readings. And every time I go to an independent bookstore, I make sure I buy a book for my personal collection. And, and just, uh, you know, I read poems online every day. Um, and so that really helps to sort of put me into my writing place. Um, right now I'm writing, a, I'm working on a project and it's my actual first project. Um, I took some classes with Craig Polnich at um, Kent State and he used to call a poetry project a caper. And I always had enough ideas going on that I really didn't take the time to develop a project or maybe I just didn't have an idea. But right now I'm working on a series of prose poems that are drawing from my experience um, as a kid in the late sixties and early seventies living in this, in the subdivision of duplexes. So transient suburbia is how I think of it. And 
um, it was sort of disconnected from social context, right? There were no grandmas there. Everybody was on their way to someplace else. There was no ethnic food. People were moving in and out. And, um, and our family was also in transition and so was society at large. I mean, my God, what, what wasn't happening then, right? The civil rights and women's rights and just, you know, the big assassinations and how, just how volatile everything was. It was a really interesting time to be developing ideas about self, about, um, about femininity or, um, you know, the possibility of being a woman in the world about those kinds of identity questions and all that stuff. So, so when I go in now, I have a list of, I started the project just by listing everything I could remember little pieces. And then, so I've been developing those into a poem. So maybe that's more like a story in the sense that I have a place to jump into, but, but that's what I do. That's the long answer. The short answer is I like to read. I want to know what's being written today. It's so interesting. And I love being connected to other, other writers and poets. Yeah, definitely. The, the connection is a big part because not only when we read the work of other people, you know, it, it gives us new insights into how words can be put together to express an opinion. But, you know, one thing I always find myself doing is I just look for books about writers, generally about women writers and about their experience, which is kind of what led me even to doing this podcast. It's like, well, how, how did you overcome whatever the issues were? Because, you know, they change from generation to generation. But at the same time, you find that, you know, all writers, all poets, all creative people do tend to struggle with the same issues over and over again. And, you know, you might look at somebody, say, in, in your field who is top of the line. And, and, you know, you might have had the idea that, oh, all they have to do is just sit down and it just comes pouring out. And then you read something they wrote about their creative process and you find out, oh, they have days too where things don't work or they have pieces too that they ended up just trashing. And it's, it's kind of reassuring because you realize that it's not just you. It's not that you aren't any good at what you're doing if you're having one of those bad writing days, but everybody goes through it, you know? So then you're, you're part of a bigger group, you know? So I always find that um, really encouraging, at, at least for me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, now you talked, uh, or I mentioned about your residencies, and what was the experience like, and what did you gain from from the residencies? Oh, residencies are fabulous. They're just they're just such a great time to be creative. Um, I like to set up a little routine for myself, so um, you know. I've only been to two. And so um, in San Francisco, I was living in a national park and I had a big room and I was, um, we had all these trails along the shore and there were um, 80 or something um, other artists there, visual artists, um, dancers and other writers. And then Vermont Studio Center, there were 70 of us. We were living in, in little, houses, um, historic houses around this big mill. Um, and people had, artists had studios and the firehouse and all, everywhere. 
And I like to read a whole book of poems in the morning and then sit down and write for several hours and then take a long walk and to really think some more, think about some problems I had or some other ideas I would like to develop. And just at every meal, you're talking to writers and artists who are who are really thinking about those same kinds of creative process questions. Um, and then in the evening, sometimes you're visiting, there are studio visits or there are lectures. Um, it's just so great. It's so great. I um, joke that it's uh, how much I can get done without having any adult responsibilities. <laughs> Yeah. And, and two, I think it's, it's the total immersion in what you're doing. It's not like, well, here's two hours that I can spend working on a, po a piece, a poem or a short story, but now I have to stop because you have client work or I have to make dinner or throw a load of laundry in or whatever the other thing is. I mean, to just have an uninterrupted time and then being surrounded by so many other creative people, it it's almost like, wow, you know, this, this would be heaven. So I've, I've never it done is. a residency, but I would like to at some point. That's kind of on my bucket list, you know. Really yes, phenomenal. And at the Headland Center for the Arts, I was there for the whole summer, and that was funded by the Ohio Arts Council. It was the gift of a lifetime. And I was able to interview some poets I admire, and they, it scared me a little because they're brilliant. And I just didn't want to waste that incredible opportunity and so I would ask a question and the answer would come back and then the other writers and I would talk about it for a couple of days and then I would have the time to craft a question again I mean I just got so much done so much done so I can really see when I ever I feel like oh I'll never write another poem again I just try to remind myself you're just busy you know, and it's all still there. You'll be able to find that when you carve out a little bit of time. So um, I'm not going to be able to take a month off <laughs> anytime soon, but um, but I am. I did put together a little group of poets and we are together are going to rent a cabin in Mohican National State Park in the summer, just so we can have a long weekend um, just to spend in, in writing and, and discussing writing. So a little mini residency that we're doing a little bit homemade, but I hope that will help keep the pump primed. There's nothing wrong with the DIY version of a residency. You know, we do what we have to do. And especially because of the pandemic and that so many of the things that we might have had planned, we can't do. So, I, you know, I think it kind of pushes us to find alternative ways of, you know, focusing on our writing, even if it's only for a much shorter period. Now, be besides your poetry, are there other types of writing that you do or you would like to explore? Yes, for sure. I, I want to try my hand at, at a lot of kinds of writing. I have written a few short stories, which is really fun. Um, it's so different. Um, and I really enjoy that. I um, started a novel and for a while I had this, the fan, the novel fantasy, right? You go into a room and you come out sometime later, your legs are all hairy and you're surrounded by Chinese takeout boxes and there you, you have it in hand. 
but um, I'm not sure I can pull that off. So I might see, take it apart and see if there are any short stories or maybe do a few link stories. Um, I also have done a little bit of creative nonfiction and I would like to do more of that. And I would also like to, at someday I would like to have a column of poetry or books, talking about books or something like that. Um, I think that would be really fun, a little bit of journalism. I, I took quite a few journalism classes when I was getting my English degree. So I, I really like that kind of writing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's always so interesting. So talking about all the things that you have on your plate, now let's talk about Lit Youngstown. When was it founded? 2015. Wow, wow. And what was, now you, you're the original founder of it, correct? Mm -hmm. So what was your goal or mission uh, when you decided to create this? What, you know, what, what were you thinking? Um, you know, I really wanted to engage people in the literary arts, um, whether through reading, through writing, through storytelling, um, through even film, um, biography, as you were talking about before, and um, to use the literary arts to promote things like cross-cultural experience, um, creative solutions. Um, I really believe that reading empowers us to understand the world through stories, through accurate information, right? We're really seeing how important it is to understand source material. There's so much for us to know to be fully engaged in civic life. Um, to understand big issues like democracy and climate change and immigration, those big issues that we have. So much of the understanding of those questions have a literary core, right? The stories of them um, and that kind of journalism, that kind of accuracy and objectivity, but also, you know, it's just good fun. I mean, I think, Youngstown has or this area, the valley has a, a long literary tradition. I mean, long before I started thinking about like, Youngstown, people were telling me of this wonderful reading series that took place at Cedars for a really long time and Pig Iron Press was here. And, um, and you know, I learned about the puddler poet and Irish um, iron worker immigrant um, in the late 1800s who had a national following for his labor poetry and just, um, you know, the Warner Brothers. I think there's a lot of context here. And I didn't want to duplicate anything that was already going on, but just see what people might be interested in and how can we highlight things that are already happening, maybe create some connective material and also like look toward problems our community is having and see if there's any way the literary arts can make a gesture toward that problem. I think those are all terrific goals. And certainly it's not easy to start any kind of a nonprofit, but, you know, especially a literary one. So I, I really give you a, a, you know, a lot of praise for taking on that responsibility. And, you know, you're in your, what, what is now the sixth year. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's pretty good, you know, especially with everything else. So, you know, all the other challenges that everybody's been dealing with. Um, now, how have you been able to 
or have you been able to get the community leaders to also support what you're trying to do? I mean, you know, you and I, we're both live in Youngstown, right? So it's like, it's easy to hear about sports or it's easy to hear about restaurants or whatever, but somehow when it comes to literary activities and that, you don't necessarily, maybe people have a misperception of, of what you have to be or what kind of education you have to have to be engaged in the literary field. But so what have, what have you been able to do to get community leaders behind you and, and help you promote this and, and make it available to other people? You know, that's such a, such a good point about literary. We actually didn't call the organization Literary Youngstown because we didn't want to scare anyone, right? It's not literary. It's just, you know, this, it's just language and stories that we're using all the time. But I think one thing I've learned um, and actually started having conversations about this at Headlands was, was how the power of collaboration um, and I think I've met some community leaders through work that we've invited organizations to, to join us in doing. For example, I read a book called Closing the Food Gap by the food policy um, advocacy um, scholar, Mark Winnie. And um, he was talking about hunger and different community solutions, things that people, that communities have tried over the years and sort of the history of, of hunger um, in this country, the recent history. And it was such a good book. I thought, wow, these questions are really happening here. And so I reached out to him on, on Facebook. I found a fa his Facebook page and I thought it would be like, like an author page. And I just wrote, you know, man, your book means so much to me and blah, 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 blah. And he wrote back, it was the real him. And he said, you know, I would love to come there. So we, um, with the help of um, Gail Catanella, who's the, um, the priest at St. John's Episcopal Church, where we have our office, who happens to be my, my neighbor. Um, she, she and I invited the the people in our community who are working on food policy. And we all got together and all of those organizations kicked in a small amount and a local foundation closed the gap for us and we brought him in. So in order to make a context for a literary organization to bring in a food policy advocate, I designed a year's worth of book, book discussion books centered around food. So we read a book about Chinese American cuisine and about a famous chef in New York City. And we read about Julia Child. And then I dropped this food policy book in the middle. And it's relevant, right? I mean, the people who read the book could really see how important it is for what we're talking about now. But um but so I think things like that, like another project we did is the Andrews Avenue memory mural. So I saw a picture of a, of a mural in Wisconsin that had a little piece of a poem by Laurie Niedecker, my one of my favorite, favorite poets. I love her work so much. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And so I thought we should do that here. So I 
I got together with my friend Dragana Cerniak, who teaches painting at YSU. And we made a few starts that didn't quite work. And then we hit on this idea that if we invited people in the community to submit memories of Youngstown, uh, we could turn all of those memories over to her students. And she designed a special class on public art. And they looked at those, her students looked at those memories, interviewed people, talked to, went down to the historical society, and they designed this, what is now a 150 foot mural on a retaining wall on Andrews Avenue and an area that was once a really important um, corridor, but is now undergoing this wonderful revitalization. That's the mural is right across the street from what will be the Penguin um, City Brewery and it's right kitty corner from the flea. And there's still a lot of light manufacturing on that corridor and they've been working hard to revitalize that area. So I think, you know, and we originally thought we would put, excerpt these memories in, in ribbons that would run through the mural. But once we got to the site, we realized cars were zipping by too fast and it was on these, a couple of curves. There's just no way you could slow down and read. And so they, the students interpreted them all visually, but I feel like there was still this literary component and we were the fiscal agent for the project. And um, and just helped in several ways. So I think organizations can, like I um, I had a, a year as an AmeriCorps VISTA at um, Youngstown Neighborhood Development Corporation. And I think I learned there not to worry too much about staying in one's lane because things are connected. And, you know, by pulling in other collaborators and doing things that are interesting and really useful and productive for them as well. You're highlighting the work that they're doing and building something together so that from now on, everyone in the art department, you know, everyone in the food policy, they will all know about Lit Youngstown. And so I think we're all getting behind each other and, and that's, that's been our, our MO and it's just been um, really, just been really great for us to learn about the incredible things that are going on here because Youngstown is a hard place. There are a lot of really awful things happening here. I mean, the Wall Street Journal recently called Youngstown the poorest city in America. And if you oh. look at, if you look at the data, it's devastating. And so it's absolutely critical that we that we also know the phenomenal, intrepid, creative, relentless, wonderful work that's being done by so many people here. It's just really important that we also hang on to that. We're not alone. And there is there is a vision for a future. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't here, but, um, but I loved seeing all the pictures of downtown, the flea on Phelps and all those people downtown. And, you know, I, it's hopeful. I, so, and I, I, I like the way that particular project started, which was memories given by people. Okay. So, which only goes to show that it's not only this elite tiny group of 
creative people. Okay. I mean, you know, I grew up here. I, you know, you heard stories from your, your grandparents about the old, because I'm, I'm Slovak, right? I have half Slovak, half Hungarian. So you always heard stories about the old country or, you know, the certain foods, the, the whole ethnic background and that. So, you know, we were raised with storytellers, many of whom, you know, my, my, my mother's mother, she never went to school. I mean, she could read and write, but I mean, she never really was what we would say educated okay because she was in slovakia this is you know before world war before world war one is when she came over here so it's like you know the stories you don't have to have a phd in literature to be able to tell a story we do that instinctively or to be able to draw or to make up poetry i mean yes it certainly helps if you've been educated and you can refine it, but the creative instinct is present in us inherently. So I think with what you, you know, what you were just talking about, that project, that goes to show that, you know, it is interlinked. You can have your average person who would say, well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, this highfalutin poet or storyteller or whatever, you know, I'm just going to tell you this little story, this little memory, and then to see how it ends up, that just goes to show that we can all inspire each other. You know, you don't have to just be a certain kind of person. It, the creativity is there. And I think the more that people realize that, I think that might make the arts become um, a little less of an elitist concept. Because I, I, I think you're right. If, if you'd have called it literary Youngstown, everybody would be saying, oh, well, then I don't belong there. I only have a high school diploma. I don't belong in that kind of an organization because they're all better than me. But by calling it Lit Youngstown, you know, it's, it's a little friendlier, a little less elitist type idea. And then people are, are more willing to say, well, yeah, you know, I, I, can, I have something I can offer. You know, I'm, I may not know all the grammar and the, you know, the seven syllable words, but I do have something I can share. And I, I think that's important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. We're always asking ourselves who, who is not yet at the table and how can we help them feel welcome, like, you know, that they have a place there. I also want to say that I have so much respect for academia and the scholars here. I mean, YSU has been an incredibly important driver of the arts. And I love making a space where people can share what they know um, with people who are interested in knowing those things as well. So for example, we'll be starting, you know, we did a, during the pandemic, we did an extensive community survey and um, people were really generous with their answers and really took the time to let us know what they wanted from us. And one of the things many people consistently said was that we're looking for something more in depth and more consistent. Um, you're doing great with a lot of programs that sort of skim along the surface, one-off things. Um, and so I designed this workshop that's going to meet all day, once a month. And in the morning, we'll talk about 
you know, the publishing, writing, publishing landscape, what's being done today. And then in the afternoon, we'll bring in one of those fancy highfalutin poets and um, who will talk about an element of poetry. So the music in poetry, the line breaks, um, imagery, and then we'll look at everyone around the table. We'll have brought a poem and we'll look at those poems through that lens. And that way, whether a person is just beginning or if they've published several books, there will be a way from them to benefit from that workshop. And I hope that we can all learn from one another um, in that way. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea, especially because it's, it's very much, um, sounds like a combination of practical information and then the creative side of it. So that, you know, that, that gives everybody both sides of it, because you do kind of need both sides of it. Now, you, you have your annual fall literary festival, and, and you just had one again, you know, this year. So um, how did that, especially because we were, we're still dealing with the pandemic, how did that turn out? And um, what are your plans going forward for the festival? I thought it went well. Um, you know, it was a transition year. And I mean, last year we were all online. Um, and this year we were planning to be in person. We thought surely by then everything would be fine. Um, and of course that it was more dicey than that. Um, we had a few people ask if they could zoom in and that was a little bit awkward, but a good way to be inclusive um, and it was a smaller crowd, but I think people were really grateful to connect and there just seemed to be a really good energy. So I think all things considered, um, it went well. Um, going forward, I hope that um, it will continue to grow. We have had consistently phenomenal um, proposals that just come in. Um, this year we had over 70 writers from coast to coast. Um, some poets, I, um, some writer, poets and writers, I admire so much. And I'm just so grateful to them for coming in because there are conferences everywhere. You know, I mean, that they came to our relatively small organization in this relatively small city, right? I mean, just meant, meant the world to us. Um, and so I hope that we can continue to grow. One tricky thing factor will be um, having, knowing where to have it because since YSU has decided to sunset their involvement with the Northeast Ohio Master of Fine Arts, um, which really gave us a great context for having our conference there, right? They, the NEO-MFA was really involved in, in not only funding the conference, but participating on every single level. Um, and so if all that is, of all the creative writing program at YSU is a minor, an undergraduate minor, it really might not be enough context to have a, a conference there, in which case we would maybe look around for another venue. But I, I hope it doesn't come to that. It would really break my heart because 
I love, you know, I love bringing in these people who think they know, who like have maybe heard of Youngstown, they have some impressions and we put them up downtown, the historic Hilton, and they have dinner at the, all these new great little bistros that are popping up everywhere. And we have a reading at this gorgeous um, stone sanctuary at, at um, St. John's, or we had a, our last reading, Jan Beatty read at um, the Soap Gallery, and we had another reading. Our gathering in was at the Concept Studio, just a, an empty um, storefront that is now used as a venue just this charming exposed brick with all those pretty little lights dangling from the ceiling. And, you know, you can just see people recalibrating their idea of Youngstown. And we told them, please spend your money at locally owned, uh, you know, coffee shops and bars and restaurants, and here's a list for you. And they, they definitely did that. So I really hope that we can keep bringing the, the conference to Youngstown. I think it's good for, Youngstown and I know it's really good for local writers and and readers as well they're not all writers who come to the conference but to feel like they're a part of something much bigger you know writing is this solitary act and it's easy to not feel connected to the literary world but um but it's also really easy to connect you know and and so that's also fun as well mm -hmm. One question that I, I always like to end the podcast with is um, on, on the topic of success, because we all have different definitions of what success as a creative person is, and then where we fall on that line at any point in time. So for you, how do you define success for yourself as a writer, as a poet? What you know, does it vary from piece to piece or from an overarching perspective? What, what is success for you as, as you're pursuing your, your creative life? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I mean, as we, we talked about residencies before, I remember the last, when I was at the Vermont Studio Center, I came out with this body of work and I was submitting like crazy and a lot of them were accepted. And so I really felt like I was part of that world, right? Things were, were staying current. Um, and, but what I'm, I mean, right now, because Lit Youngstown is so new, we have uh, staff of, you know, there are two of us. Um, and so, you know, I'm doing so much work all the time. It's, I would like to be writing more, um, but, but do I see that as a failure of success? I suppose I will feel more successful in my writing when I'm writing and publishing more and, um, and being part of that. But on the other hand, um, I've, been invited to do some readings. My first book came out during the pandemic. Um, and so that, you know, that was just last year. So that feels great. I definitely feel like I have some momentum. I'm not taking the time 
I probably won't develop as a writer, you know, as much as I could because I'm so busy, but the work I'm doing is really meaningful. So is that sad for me? I I couldn't really say it was. Um, So I guess if I'm, if I just stay part of the, if I just keep it going, you know, as much as possible and have some things on the horizon, I guess that's, that's really all the success I need. And I do, I'm not the kind of person who thinks I'm going to, I'm going to die in this saddle. You know, I hope that young, <laughs> that Youngstown can be like healthy enough to hand that I can hand this off to someone who can keep it going after me. And then maybe I'll have a few years, like maybe retirement can be like a year long residency. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think oh, that's I a some, terrific goal. <laughs> I have some retired friends who who are really making it work. So, um, so you know, maybe I'll live long enough to do that, and and that would, that sounds really fun to me. Well, I I think that is wonderful, and and like you said, there's so many different versions of what we consider success, you know, and maybe what we thought would be a marker of success. 20 years ago, and now we've achieved that. And we're like, okay, but I, there's still more that I want to do. And, and maybe that's a big part of it. I would hate to think that, that we had a definition of success. And then when we met that particular goal, it's like, okay, I don't have anything else to strive for. I mean, I, I, think, I think we always want to be raising the bar a little bit because that's what we should do. We should never, you know, stop at any one point in time we should continue to be as creative as we can and some years we might be more prolific or more productive than others but that's because life and other obligations intervene so it's you roll with it you you roll with it and and always try to keep it if the flame's not burning as brightly as we would like okay but at least it hasn't gone out and at some point in time we will have the time to to feed it a little bit more, but um, no, I think and certainly you have achieved so much between your own work and with starting Lit Youngstown that um, certainly anybody by any frame of reference would, would say you have been successful thus far. So, well, I really appreciate having you on the show. It's nice to talk to a, a, a fellow local person, you know, so that's always nice too, but um I wish you a lot of success in 2022, both with the organization and with your own writing. And um, thanks so much for giving me the time today. No, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure.